We are in a series on the book of Revelation. And so today, this is, uh, what is this, part three? Part three. Today, we're, we, we are going to touch on some pretty heavy stuff, all right? But you're going to hear me say this a number of times. The book of Revelation is a book of hope. Although there are some things in there that might be like, ooh, I don't, that sounds kind of scary. Well, maybe it should be if you don't put your faith in Jesus. Um, but, you know, Jesus does a lot of warnings. Even, even in his teachings, he spoke a lot on the separation of God, our eternity, if we don't put our faith in him. And they were warnings. Like, listen, you, 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 you got to put your faith in me because I am the bread of life. I am life. No one gets to the Father except through me, he said. There's no other way to heaven, church, except through Jesus. And so we're going to look at some things today that even, even towards the end, we're going to look at a passage in 2 Thessalonians that is kind of like, ooh, that's, that's heavy stuff. I don't know about that. Well, if you call yourself a Christian, then you don't have to worry about it. Amen? Amen. So let's get right into it. All right. So today we are looking at the second of seven letters that Jesus has John write down to deliver to these churches. Now, um, I'm going to kind of, there's a lot of things that we explained in part one of this. Uh, the disciple John, Jesus met with him, and John, everything he wrote down in the book of Revelation is, is the things that he saw and heard from Jesus. These are things that he literally saw. So, as stated before, there's a lot of symbolism in the book of Revelation, but what we are doing is we are going to give the literal definition of some of that symbolism because everything in the Bible that is symbolic has a literal meaning to it so we can find that it's God is mysterious right he has the right to be a bit mysterious okay but everything in his word has a literal meaning to it and we can cling to that and there's hope to that amen so these letters remember, are written to the pastor of each church. He, he addresses the, pastor, the pastors as an angel, to the angel of the church of Smyrna, which is what we're looking at today. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. For all week it was Smyrna, and then yesterday Kim said, I think it's Smyrna, so whatever, just deal with it, all right? However you want to say it, we know what we're talking about. But these letters are written to the pastors of the church, the messenger, the one who's bringing the message of Jesus to the church. And and re remember now, these letters are written to these churches for the current time, what they are currently going through. And, and a lot of times people say, they will say, well, that, that passage right there in the Bible was meant for that specific time. Yes, it was. But the Bible and the Word of God transcends time. You can't skirt around issues because you don't like what you're reading and say, it just was meant for 2,000 years ago. It was meant for the churches at the current time, but also it, it represents the, the, uh, the conditions that churches and people often find themselves in. So like I'm a pastor of a church, right? And if I'm reading this and one of these letters, I'm like, whoa, you know what? This seems like our church. This seems like a direction I'm noticing our church going down. Then I better take heed because that's God's Holy Spirit saying, listen, Chip, I want you to understand, you guys are heading down this path. And so here's, here's how to correct that. 
All right? And so, so even though it was meant for the churches at that time, this, this transcends time. Uh, you might be reading this, you might be hearing this today and say, whoa, you know what? That is me. And so that's God's Holy Spirit saying, that is you. I want you to fix this. All right? So, so and there's hope in that, though. Now, uh, this letter was written to the church in Smyrna, all right? And Smyrna had Jesus' attention because of the persecution that they were experiencing. They were a heavily persecuted uh, family of Christians. And, and the one thing about this particular letter, actually, so there's seven letters, right? Two of the seven letters do not have a section of correction, or, or we could say like a, a condemning part of their letter. Like, we're, like last week, the church of Ephesus, Jesus says, you know, he talks about all the good things they're doing. He says, but I have this thing against you. So in this particular letter we're looking at today, there's nothing that, that in the church of Smyrna that needs corrected. All right? So, so that's, that's one thing that they kind of had going for them. They didn't, they didn't need to get things turned around. Now, Smyrna was a city that was about 30 miles north of Ephesus. So Ephesus was the letter we looked at yesterday, uh, last week. And, and these churches, there's seven of them, they kind of they were in this arc in what was called the Asia Minor area of the Middle East, in what we now know as the, the modern-day country of Turkey. And they're all about 30 to 50 miles apart from each other. So Smyrna just happens to be about 30 miles north of Ephesus. And it was a large and diverse city. For instance, it had a major, a huge library. It had a huge uh, sports arena, uh, amp, you know, a theater, and then it had a theater. So there was a lot of stuff happening in this city where people would come for these major events, for theater, for sports, and even just to, to go visit this library. And then also, it had the second largest port on the Aegean Sea. Aegean, however you pronounce it, whatever. This one sea, all right? Ephesus was the largest, but Smyrna was known as the port of Asia. So if you were a, a traveler, an importer, exporter, you would say, hey, we're, we're coming into the port of, of Asia. We're going to the city of Smyrna. That's where we're going to dock. So there's just a little bit of, of, of some, some history or some knowledge about the city. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in this letter, Revelation chapter 2. In, in verse 8. And we're just going to read the opener first. So here's how Jesus addresses this to John. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last who was dead but is now alive. That's the opener. All right? Now, remember... Each letter starts out with a description of Jesus that pertains to that church's particular situation, all right? In Revelation chapter 1, we see a very descriptive uh, uh, description uh, of, of Jesus and who he is, that side of eternity. He looked much different when he walked the earth. When you read in Revelation chapter 1, you see what Jesus really looks like. And so this was a description of him that he wanted the church in Smyrna to know. Now, what's interesting about this is the prophet Isaiah, 
who was God's mouthpiece in the Old Testament, he was delivering a message to the Israelites that God wanted him to deliver about how God is their help in need. So listen to what he says, Isaiah chapter 41. This is God speaking through Isaiah. Who has done such mighty deeds, summoning each new generation from the beginning of time? It is I, the Lord, the first and the last. I alone am he. So here we got a couple thousand years prior to this, God himself referring to himself as the first and the last. And now we have in the book of Revelation, Jesus referring to himself as the first and the last. So remember, the, the book of Revelation is, number one, a book of hope. I cannot say this enough. But also, it is a fulfillment of prophecy, especially Old Testament prophecy. So this wouldn't necessarily be something that's a fulfillment of prophecy, but it is something where we can say, you know what? God referred to himself as the first and the last. Jesus is referring to himself as the first and the last. Maybe I should pay attention, right? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're all, that's the Trinity. They're all three in one. They're all the same, but they have different roles from each other. Now, what I find interesting is this. In Deuteronomy chapter 33, this is what Moses wrote this book, right? He wrote the first five books of the Bible. But he says this, the eternal God is your refuge and his everlasting arms are under you. He drives out the enemy before you. He cries out, destroy them. Now, if I'm going through some persecution, if I'm going through a rough time in life, if I'm struggling in life, I've got things coming at me, and I'm a little confused, I'm a little weary, I'm a little like I need some help, God. That passage is going to help me, right? Because I look at that passage in, in Deuteronomy. My thing shut off here. There we go. Good thing I had this all memorized. <laughs> now, if I look at that passage in Deuteronomy, right, that gives me something to hold on to. Like, God is my refuge. He is eternal. His everlasting arms are under me, carrying me through this rough season in life. See what I'm saying? Just like that description of Jesus, I hold the seven stars in my right hand and I walk among the seven lampstands. I hold the pastors in my right hand and I walk among the churches. For me, that gives me comfort. This passage should give us comfort when we need help from God. Maybe all the advice we're getting from people is not quite hitting the spot and we need some eternal hope. We need to know that Jesus is there for us, that my God who I put my trust in, who I really don't think is with me right now because I can't sense his presence. You can't tell me nobody's ever been there. And so we need the fact and the truth of his word to get us through this. I can dial into this verse and say, ah, oh, Jesus, I need, to know that, I need to know that I'm in your arms. I can't feel you right now. I can't sense you right now. What I'm dealing with is so much. But your word says, this is who you are to me, and I can cling to that. Amen? So that's our hope. That's our hope in the Word of God. And so in this letter, 
Jesus wants the church in Smyrna to know, listen, I am the first and the last, okay? I am the one who was once dead but is now alive, that he is their God. Now, they probably already knew this. So like last week, I said something. The church in Ephesus was established in around 52 A.D., and then I said, you know, 52 years later, after Jesus' death, this church was established. Well, that's not true. Jesus ascended into heaven at around 33 AD. So the church in Ephesus was established at about 20 years after Jesus ascended into heaven. That's not very long. And so this church in Smyrna, I'm pretty sure that they knew that Jesus had been persecuted to the point of death, but they're going through some heavy persecution and Jesus is saying, I want you to know, this is me who's delivering this message. The first and the last. The bookends of all that is, was, and is to come. The alpha and the omega. I am who's delivering this message. I died, but now I'm alive. I want you to know this. So that's what he wanted them to know, all right? Now, sometimes, right, we need this reminder of who Jesus is. Sometimes we need to know that he is the first and the last, that he is holding everything together from an eternal standpoint, that he is indeed alive because we're human beings and sometimes we get so wrapped up in the struggles and the suffering and the stuff that we're going through that we lose sight of that and we've got to hold on to his word. And so it was good for the church to hear that Jesus, too, was persecuted. Again, I'm sure that they already knew that. But if you're going through some heavy persecution, it, it might be good to be reminded by your Savior himself that, hey, listen, you know what? You and I have something in common. And I think that's what he was telling him. Jesus was persecuted to the point of death on a cross. And he is now in eternity, in heaven, holding everything together. I know what you guys are going through, he says. I've been there, and I've got this for you. I've got it, everything together. So I was persecuted to death. I came back to life, and this should be an encouraging word for them. That's why he opens up with his letter to them with this description of him. So now let's get to the body of the letter, right? Verses 9 and 10. And then we're going to break it down. Well, like I said, we're going to get into some heavy stuff today as much as we can on a Sunday morning. Here's what he says to them. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. All right, so we'll stop there. So just a little hope at the end of that, right? A crown of life. But listen, here's what Jesus says. He tells them that he knows what you are going through. I know your suffering, your poverty, but you are rich. That's kind of like an oxymoron, right? Like... Now, in the New King James, it says this, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. I know what you've been doing for me. 
I know the work that you've been putting into the gospel, the sake of, my, of, of me. I know the suffering you've been going through, the tribulation, the poverty, but you are rich. Now, the Greek word for tribulation in this verse means to literally be under pressure. So the church in Smyrna was constantly under pressure for their faith. And, and their poverty, what was happening is many of them were business owners. And because of their faith in Jesus, their businesses had been vandalized and, and looted and, and destroyed, which led to poverty for them. They didn't have anything. They lost everything. But Jesus says, listen, you're still rich. All right? You're rich. Now, I don't consider myself like financially like on the wealthier end of things by any means, but where we are at in life, I consider us rich, our family. We're prosperous. When I use the word prosperous, it doesn't just mean monetary. It means everything. It means that I know that no matter what, what the world throws at me, I've got Jesus on my side. To me, that's rich. I've got Kim on my side. Well, I've got our family that is close-knit together. To me, that is rich. You can't buy that kind of connection with human beings, right? And so that's what Jesus was saying here. But listen to this, what he says in Matthew chapter 6, just in case we need a little more of a definition here. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus told us this. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. What he's saying is, listen, don't get caught up in worldly possessions. Don't lose sight of your faith in me. Listen, there's nothing wrong with having lots of money. There's nothing wrong with having lots of things. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong at all with that. But if you are a Christian and that becomes your sole focus, getting the bank account to grow bigger and bigger and having another car in a garage and now they won't fit, I got to build another garage and more things and things and things. When that becomes your focus, and maybe you're slipping in your tithing or your extra offerings or you're no longer helping out in the church like you used to or you don't share your faith with people like you used to because your goal is focused over here, then you're missing out. You're storing up treasures on earth instead of in heaven. So that's what that means, all right? There's, there's, to be a Christian does not mean that we have to live in poverty, right? Because you know what? When you're a wealthy Christian, you know that your money can be used to help the church, the kingdom, worldwide, missions, all of this stuff. So Jesus is saying, you know, not to lose sight of the kingdom. And when you have that in check, you will be rich, no matter where you're at on the financial scale. So there's, many, so there's that. And then when it comes to the trials and the tribulations and suffering and being under constant pressure because of your faith. Like, I'm not too sure we here in America really know what that means, right? Like, like, like we're about ready to send a team to Vietnam to do uh, the free wheelchairs, okay? That's a communist country. There's a lot of restrictions there. You can't just, you know, walk around with your Bible in your hand proclaiming the message of Jesus, 
that's persecution. You know, there's, there's a lot of other countries, a lot of places worldwide where you cannot openly share your faith in Jesus. So you have to be creative. And there's a lot of passages that speak about this. But my favorite one that I hold on to, and this is something that we could use in our day-to-day. Maybe things aren't going well with, uh, maybe, maybe something blew up with a friend. Maybe something blew up at work. You know, whatever. We're, just, we're struggling, right? Well, Jesus, he was coming close to the end of his mission here on earth. And he, and he spent this time talking to the disciples about this. And this is in John chapter 16. And he's talking to them about, he knows what's about to happen. He knows he's about to be crucified and, 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 and to die, be buried, and rise again. But the disciples did. He knew that they were about to be thrown into a world of confusion and, and hurt and disoriented with what was going on. And so, but they're not picking up on this, right? There's a couple chapters in the Gospel of John, like, dedicated to this. But then he says this in John 16. He's talking, 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 and he says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. New King James says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That is like a life verse for me. Like, be of good cheer. And man, Chip, no matter what you go through here on this earth, Jesus hasn't already gone through it, so you can lean on him. And that's kind of what he was telling the church here, too. Listen, guys, I've, I've been through. I've been through what you're going through and more. So hang in there. And then he says this, I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. I know the blasphemy of those who are coming against you. The Greek word for blasphemy in this sentence means slander. I know the slander that you're facing, the things that are being said about you guys that are not true. I'm, I'm watching it from an eternal standpoint. I know what you're dealing with. So what were they dealing with? Well, this is a pretty heavy stuff. For, for instance, they were being accused of being cannibals because of their practice of communion. The bread representing Jesus' body and the, the, the wine or juice, I'm sure they used wine back then, uh, representing his shed blood. So people were saying, you know, that church over there, they're, they're, they're cannibal. They're eating body and drinking blood. Now, Jesus did a little teaching on this, and he did get a little bit weird, too. Like, like, like I, I'm never going to ask him, but I'm like, Jesus, like you could have like toned that down a little bit. And uh, I, I can't remember which gospel it is, in Luke or John or something, but he talks about eating my body and drinking my blood, and then it says, at that time, many people walked away from him. Like, I mean, I would be challenged by that, too. Like, Jesus, you, you couldn't say, like, you know, like, at some point you will do this in remembrance of me or anything like that, you know? And then he looks at the 12, and he says, so are you guys going to leave me too? And Peter says, where would we go? Where would we go, Lord? Now, do you know what that tells me as, as a leader, as somebody who leads groups and teams and a church? Even though I may be misunderstood, people will still follow. Jesus was highly misunderstood with this. But his 12 said, Jesus, where are we going to go? You're, you're, you're our guy. We've been with you. We support you. We well, don't know what he's talking about, but we're with you, bud. 
right? Like, like that's how you can place your trust in a leader. I'm not too sure about the direction he's going, but you know what? He hasn't steered us wrong so far, so we're going to follow him. I believe that he's hearing from God, so I'm going to follow him. Jesus had that going for him, all right? So, so they were being accused of this. Now, also, um, they were being called treasonous because they were not putting their allegiance in Caesar first. They were putting their allegiance in Jesus, and they were not uh, hiding this. And so the Roman authorities were saying, you know what, you guys are committing treason over here. You, you, you might want to be careful what's happening. And then also, we're going to look at a passage later on about, about some fire and things like that happening during the end times. They were teaching some of this stuff. So, so people were like, you know, these guys are, I don't know about that church over there. There's a lot of stuff being said about them. So, so they were facing a lot of slander. They were facing what Jesus says, some blasphemous accusations. Well, listen to what Peter says about this in 1 Peter chapter 4. He's talking to us, but he's also talking to a, a, uh, an audience of his time. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. People, people are coming at you because of your faith. Don't be surprised about this. Don't act like it's strange. You, you, you've read about it in the Word. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Church, when we are persecuted, when we are, are, are accused of things because of our faith, the Bible says it makes us partners with Christ. That's kind of what he's trying to tell the church in Smyrna here. Listen, you, you and I have something in common, guys. Persecution. And I want you to know I'm pulling for you here. And then he goes on to say this. They say they are Jews, but they are not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Well, that's a pretty heavy accusation. Like, how about this? Let's say you're John delivering this message to the church in Smyrna, right? And you're like, well, Jesus, Jesus wrote this down. That's not coming from me. That's why I wrote it in red. Jesus said their, their synagogue is of Satan. Now, in the sixth letter to the church in Philadelphia, he uses that same phrase again. So, you know, Jesus is, he understands what's going on more than we do. Like, I don't think I would have the guts to tell somebody, hey, listen, you know what, what you're doing right now, what you're saying is from Satan. You are from Satan right now. I don't think I would. I, in my head, maybe, but... That's a pretty heavy, heavy thing to say, right? Well, listen, here's the deal with this, okay? In many of the cities at the time, and especially in Smyrna, the uh, Jewish Christians, okay, would often be allowed to use the synagogues for their church services, all right? So that would be kind of like lots of churches in town uh, uh, allow other people to use their, their building for a church service. Like, for instance, let's say there's an Ethiopian community, all right? around town or Nepalese there's a big Nepali community did you know there's like how many there's a number of Nepalese churches here in in Reynoldsburg and it's a large Hindu uh, community let's say they came here and they said hey we would like to use your building you know for our church services well we'd say okay yeah that's great and and that's what was happening here the Jewish synagogues are saying yeah you can use our synagogue to to have church that that's fine you know we're okay with that 
But as opposition towards Christianity grew, the Jewish community began rejecting anybody who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. If you were preaching a message of Jesus, you were no longer allowed to use our synagogue. We're not going to let you use this. And what's even worse is they collaborated with the Roman government in having these Christians arrested. And that's why Jesus said, they, that is a synagogue of Satan. They don't know what they're doing, and they're having you arrested because of your faith in me. Jesus takes this stuff pretty seriously. Jesus himself, listen to this, all right, told the disciples that this would happen. Okay, so, you know, you're like, you know, Chip, this is pretty serious stuff. I don't know if you should be saying that's a synagogue of Satan, all right? I don't know about this. Well, listen to this. Jesus said this would happen. John chapter 16, verse 2. For you will be expelled from the synagogues. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I am telling you these things now so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a little while longer. This is where he gets a little weird. He's like, hey, I'm getting ready to leave. But he said, listen, when this stuff starts happening, remember my words right now because it's going to happen. And it's happening here to the church in Smyrna. They were being rejected by the Jewish people and, and being, being uh, 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 ousted to the Roman government to be arrested and persecuted for their faith. Jesus says, I'm telling you, this is going to happen. You're going to be allowed in the synagogues, and then you're not. And I'm telling you now. Now, it's very interesting. Uh, if you read in John chapter 8, I'll, I call this the great showdown, where Jesus is is teaching, and then the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders come after him, and they have this back and forth about some theology stuff, and Abraham, and all this and that and the other, and they say, well, our father is Abraham, we have no other father, and then Jesus says, your father is the devil, the father of lies. He comes right after them, right? And, and so Jesus doesn't pull any punches with people who are not on his team. And so here's the deal, church. This is what this tells me, all right? Persecution comes from Satan. Like serious persecution, right? It comes directly from the pits of hell to keep a message of eternal hope from, get, to get, from getting out there. There are people that need to know where their eternal destiny lies because they don't know. And there is an enemy out there that will do all he can to keep that message from getting out. And Jesus understands this more than anybody, where the opposition comes from. When Christians deal with persecution, they are experiencing the very works of Satan. That's what it is. I believe this. But then... Then, in his letter, he follows up with this. Don't be afraid for what you're about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. That's not very hopeful, is it? Like, imagine hearing this letter, you know, you're like, where's the, is it, are we going to hear something good? 
What's the deal? I don't know if I want to do this anymore. This church was already enduring heavy persecution. And then Jesus says, it's going to get worse. All right? Now, let's read a little something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 about persecution. Again, right? This isn't something that we really want to talk about, right? We want, we want the hopeful message. But this is stuff that we need to know, church. You know, the reason we're doing this whole series on the book of Revelation is so that we have some knowledge on what is to come, right? We need to know this, church. Some of us really need to know this. So listen to what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Do you hear that? Have you ever been made fun of? Have you ever been mocked? Have you ever been slandered against? Have you ever had things said against you because of your faith? God blesses you for that. Stand strong in your faith. Don't let that stuff get to you. God says, I will bless you for standing strong in the face of adversity because you are my follower. Be happy about it. Be very glad, Jesus says, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, in case you're wondering, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so that's where, like, I don't know, New King James is my go-to, but be happy about it. Be very glad. Be glad, you're, be glad you're going through this hard time. Listen to this, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 1 Peter chapter 5, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then remember, Peter said, listen, don't act, when you go through fiery trials, don't act as if something strange were happening to you. You have an opposing enemy out there that wants nothing but to bring you down for your faith. If he can discourage you from sharing your story, your testimony, he's done his job. If he can discourage you from sharing scripture with somebody at work, in your family, at home, in your neighborhood, he's done his job. And I believe... Jesus says, the 10 days of suffering. What does that mean? Well, I'm a literalist. I take everything in the Bible literally, and I believe Jesus meant 10 days. 10 days. Some of you, some of you, what does he say? You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. If Jesus didn't mean 10 days, he'd say a few days, two days, a short period, a long period. He said 10 days. I think he was telling them, some of you are probably going to be thrown into prison. Count the days because it's only going to be for 10, but it's going to be intense. More than likely, this is, this is more than likely, what was going on is, is uh, they would be imprisoned and tortured by the Romans to get the Christians to place their allegiance in Caesar and not Jesus. 
because the Romans believed that their emperors were gods, especially Caesar. And so they worshipped their emperors as gods. And anyone who worshipped anything else was committing treason. And so they were persecuting these Christians, arresting them. Jesus said, listen, hang on, 10 days, 10 days. It's going to be a long 10 days, but you endure this, even when facing death, and you will receive the crown of life. Now, James also speaks of this crown. In the Bible, there are five crowns talked about that, we'll, that, that some of us will get. That we won't get all five of them. I mean, maybe if you're like a super Christian, we should, we should all get at least one for, for sharing our faith. But if you don't, just be happy you're in heaven, all right? It doesn't really matter because you're going to throw them back at his feet anyways, all right? But listen, James chapter 1, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. This is something to hold on to. It's a special reward in heaven for those who endure trials, suffering, persecution, temptation. When you stand strong in the face of temptation and you don't give in and you just, oh, you just, you're, you're fighting it, right? There's a crown of life waiting for you. I don't know how this works. I don't know if Jesus will place it on her head. I don't know if it'll just appear. I don't know. But it's a pretty pretty cool reward to receive, right? So all throughout history, and even more so in the days to come, people have been persecuted, suffered, and faced many consequences for their faith in Jesus. Maybe, maybe yours isn't so much like what you would call persecution, but you've, you've gone through some stuff, maybe some slanderous stuff, maybe, maybe some things that you just you really wish, maybe, maybe you've lost some friends because of your faith. Whatever it is, Jesus says, I've seen your suffering. You stand strong in this. You continue to love me. You share your faith. You will receive the crown of life. And then the Bible uh, uh, tells us, you know, not just James, but even Jesus talks about this crown of life. So, so now in the, in the ending, the closing of the letter, verse 11, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Well, there's another little thing we have to look at. The New King James says, He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Jesus is telling the church, Listen, guys, Smyrna, there's a special reward, the crown of life waiting for all those who endure suffering and persecution for my, my namesake. But even better, those who put their faith in me will not taste the second death. Well, what does that mean? What is the first death? Well, that one's a little easier. The first death is our physical bodies. We're all going to experience the first death here on this earth. Unless we get caught up in the rapture. Which is what I'm kind of hoping for. But, you know, I just want to experience it. <laughs> what is that going to be like? But if not, you know, we all will face a first death here on this earth. 
Now, believers in Jesus need not worry about what happens after that because we will come face to face with, face to face with our Savior. And, and there is a thing, it's called the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. We'll look at that a little bit later. But that's where rewards are given out for our faith. That's a good thing. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to the Corinthians, we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. Our bodies are decaying as time goes by, right? Our sights get bad, our muscles start aching, we, we just, we just ah, right? As time goes by, everything decays on this earth. But once we get our eternal bodies, nothing will decay. Now, the second death, is reserved for those who do not place their faith in Jesus. This is, this is a, a hard reality that we've got to talk about, church, and we're going to talk about it because, because those who do not put their faith in Jesus will be judged. They'll be judged by their works here on earth apart from Jesus. And what happens is they will spend eternity separated from the presence of God. No matter what we deal with on this earth that is as dark as dark can be, the Holy Spirit, God's presence is still here. In, in, in the plagues of Egypt, right, there was one that was the plague of darkness. This always made me kind of shiver. It said it was a darkness that could be felt. Imagine that. I, I think that's what eternal separation from God is like. Well, listen to this. In Second Thessalonians, uh, yeah, Second Thessalonians chapter one, and we'll we'll bring it home here. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse seven. Okay, ready. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted, and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. Rest, eternal rest. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls, and God will provide rest for all you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears in heaven, from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. We don't want that for anybody around us, do we? Even the people you do not get along with, you don't want that for them. And even the people who rub you the, 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 the worst way ever, you don't want them, that for them. And even the people who rub you the worst way ever, God absolutely adores them just as much as he does you. And so stop praying for God to change them and ask him to help you see them the way he sees them. I guarantee you he'll give you some insight and he'll help you love them the way he does. See, this passage right here is why it is so important that we never pass up an opportunity to share our faith. No matter how awkward, no matter how tongue-tied, no matter how insecure, no matter how, how I can't do this, you feel. If you have that nudge and a little bit of something in you to share your faith with somebody, do it. I'm going to tell you a quick story. When I was a school janitor, that's how Kim and I met, right? She was a teacher and I was a janitor and, you know, 
Do you need your room cleaned? All right, so. <laughs> she had the cleanest room. Actually, no, I was on the other end of the building. But anyways, I worked with this guy, right? And um, he was a retired Marine, Sergeant Major. And, and, and he, was, he was, you know, whatever, mid to late 60s. But you could tell in his prime, you didn't mess with this guy, right? Well, we had to do this thing. We called it a perimeter check. We had to check all the doors and windows at the end of the night. It was around 11 p.m. And I would just talk like, 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 this is in my early walk with Jesus, so like, it's just coming out. Like everything I would read in the Bible that day was just coming out. I didn't care who it was. They were hearing it. And I would just talk to him about I remember one time I went home, I was talking to him about tithing and how I started giving to the church and this and that. And I went home, I was like, what does he even care about that? What does he? Sometimes I would go home, I'd be like, why did I share that with him? Like he's going to think I'm a weirdo, you know? Well, then, then um, I, I feel this, this call into ministry, and I start working here at the church, and, and he left. We went our separate ways. I get a phone call two or three years later. He's in the hospital. He has a near-death something going on, right? They brought in the chaplain. He's telling me this. He says, I knew right then and there I, I had to ask Jesus into my life. And he says, Chip, you know what? You probably didn't think I was listening to you but I was listening to every word. And if it wasn't for you, I would have never given my life to Jesus. Amen. And then he told me he was finding a lot of comfort in the Psalms. <laughs> I was like, well, that's a good book, Tom. I love the Psalms too. <laughs> Bless his heart, man. You know, he's, he's probably in heaven right now, you know? But listen, share your faith. Whenever you feel that nudge, do it. Do it because you don't want anybody tasting the second death. Amen? Eternal rest is provided for all of us who believe in Jesus, especially those who face persecution. And for those who refuse to listen to the good news of Jesus Christ, they will be eternally separated from God. There's no coming back from that, church. That's it. So in closing, while we are here on this earth, we will face trials. We will face tribulations. We'll face things we don't want to face, some of us more than others. But we can be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome anything and everything that we will ever go through. That's what he wanted the Christians, the church in Smyrna, to know. And if there's anything we can learn from this letter, it would be this. Stand strong with how you are being treated for your faith as you will receive a crown of life for any persecution and suffering you have had to endure while here on this earth. And the second would be this. As followers of Jesus, we won't taste the second death. Once we die on this earth, we will experience eternal rest in heaven. And this we can count as a victory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Jesus, for even some of this tough stuff that, that you know what? It, 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 it's hard to, to, to digest uh, because it, it's, we want a message of hope. We want it all the time, but, but church, we, 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 we need to understand what the consequences are if we don't place our faith in Jesus. And you know what? I, I don't know if anybody needs to hear this right now, but if you're a struggling, what I would refer to as a struggling Christian, like, like 
just, you know, it just seems like your life is one step forward, two steps back, temptation, whatever it is, you just feel like you're messing up. God wants you to know right now, forget about all that. I know your struggles. I know you better than you know yourself. And, and what he is saying to you right now is as we enter into a time of worship, embrace me. Embrace me, he says. And so, God, I thank you for that, for that word, and I thank you, Jesus, for your word, which helps us to understand some of this stuff in a book that might be a little confusing, and that we can look at it, and we can, we can, we can dissect it, and we can put literal meaning to the stuff that we're reading, knowing that we can be a part of your message of hope to a world that is dying out there. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.